This week on Geeksplained, we'll be tackling one of the most controversial stories in the history of comic books, the death of Superman. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today we are tackling the death of Superman. Uh, for those who don't know, yesterday, August 7th, the animated film Death of Superman was released. I picked it up at my local Redbox, watched it once, loved it so much, watched it twice. So spoilers for this review. I love this film. <laughs> I had a really good time with it. I really enjoyed it. For me, it's probably one of the best animated films since they adapted The Dark Knight Returns. Um, I'll get into that comparison in a little bit, but first I want to get a little background on the Death of Superman story itself. So for me... I kind of equate Death of Superman prior to watching this film to two different mediums. Uh, the hilarious, almost drunk history version that was compiled by Max Landis on YouTube. If you want to check that out, go on YouTube, type in Death and Return of Superman. It'll be one of the first things that pop up. Uh, but the other one is, of course, the original 1992 story. Now, this story was kind of the brainchild of Dan Jurgens, Louise Simonson, Roger Stern, and Jerry Ordway. Uh, the original Death and Return of Superman comprised of three arcs, that being Arc 1, which was titled Doomsday, Arc 2, which was Funeral for a Friend, and Arc 3, which is Reign of the Supermen. Today, we're going to be focusing on that first uh, arc, also with maybe a little touches of uh, the second arc, but today's episode is all about the first arc, Doomsday. Uh the original story was kind of created in response to low sales of a Superman book, or I should say books, because at that point Superman was in four different titles per month. He was There's a Superman title for every week. I believe it was Superman, Action Comics, Adventures of Superman, and I want to say Man of Steel. Um, those who know properly will correct me, I'm sure. Um, but... It also had something to do with the TV show that was going on at the time, that being Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. And this show was kind of a, uh, a precursor to what we would see later on in shows like Smallville, Supergirl, where they were taking the larger-than-life idea of Superman, Lois Lane, Metropolis, The Daily Planet, and kind of boiling it down to a 90s, I want to say, uh, romantic comedy it was kind of similar it was along the same lines as like a friends or like a uh, how i met your mother not quite that comedic but that kind of um story of the week serialized format and overall i really enjoyed the show it was one of my first live action experiences with superman uh 
I still look at some of those uh, some of those actors as perfect personifications of those characters. The Lois Lane in that show, Terry Hatcher being one of the I think bars that you have to set if you want to be a good Lois Lane. Uh, she was fantastic. The show was kind of centered around her a lot of the times, and she absolutely knocked it out of the park. And of course, Dean Kane as Superman, though he's not my preferred Superman, was a great Superman for that era, for that uh, point in time. But anyway, the, this show was going along the same time as these four separate Superman comics. And the writers of these comics really were pushing for this idea of Superman and Lois to finally get married. Uh, these stories have been going on since 1938, and now here in the early 90s, almost, or almost, yeah, 50 years later, they were finally ready to have these two characters tie the knot. But the <laughs> the people in charge of Lois and Clark, the TV show, basically said, no, you have to wait until we do a wedding episode. So this put the writers in a really weird position because this was at a point where um, comics were still not part of the mainstream media. Uh, they weren't really as much of a juggernaut globally as they are today there was no such thing as the marvel cinematic universe there was no such thing as uh really any kind of comics that took precedence over any other form of media so this was when they were really trying to branch out and make the jump from just being a niche uh culture up into the stratosphere of you know, like primetime television and stuff like that. So they really wanted to make sure that this show did the best that it could. And the thought process, I think, behind this was that they didn't want uh, readers of the comics who might also be viewers of the television show to look at it and say, well, you know, all the romantic tension that comes with this show is nullified for me because they're married in the comics and I already know where this story is going. Which I guess makes sense, but at the same time, I just, I think they could have found a way to make it work. Especially considering now we have all these different forms of media concerning superheroes. And you see in the movies, uh, Henry Cavill's Superman is nothing like the Superman on the Supergirl TV show. Which is a little bit closer, but not quite the Superman that's currently in the comics, who has a wife and a son. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... So the writers who now had to postpone their plans for marrying Superman and Lois had to come up with a way to stall until this uh, wedding episode for the TV show could come about. So they they would regularly have these what they would call Superman summits where they'd bring all the creative teams in for all the Superman books and they would just, you know, shoot ideas across and try to find something that worked and it would happen I believe like at the beginning of every year fiscally to set across what was going to happen over the course of Superman comics for the next year. So these creative teams were racking their brains to try and figure out exactly what they could do to stall until like I said this wedding episode could air on TV and they were racking their brains they couldn't figure anything out and then Jerry Ordway had an offhanded comment that basically said why don't we just kill him? And 
everyone took it with you know a big laugh at first and then steadily it started to gain traction and they realized that maybe we could do this we could figure something out to kill him off to shock readers to really shake up the uh the comic spectrum and find out exactly what it would be to create a world without superman so they took it to dc dc greenlit it because you know superman comics weren't really doing anything at that point their sales were low like i said and um Again, Jerry Ordway was really surprised that they actually went through with it. So they started scripting this out. They worked backwards. They said, okay, the story ends with Superman dying. Let's figure out how we get there. And so they created a character called Doomsday to kill Superman. They really didn't have any prior characters that they had in mind to fill this role. They had been batting about this idea of... Dan Jurgens had been batting about this idea of... Superman and some otherworldly creature battling it out in the middle of Metropolis for a long time at this point. So they decided, let's throw that in there. Um, they wanted to make this a big deal, and they started foreshadowing it in Superman books prior to it, showing like a fist hitting uh, a wall and this big spread of doomsday is coming and stuff like that. So they finally released the comic the comic was i believe it was four issues spread across all the superman books and it's it essentially went from december of 1992 to january of 1993 so not very long at all and the final issue which ended up being superman number 75 sold over six million copies now in today's world where you can easily get comic books and you find them everywhere brick and mortar stores are all over the place now this is you know kind of paint by numbers stuff but at that point in 1993 this was huge this was the best-selling comic book of the year and people didn't know what was going to happen they didn't know how this was going to affect going forward they didn't know if superman was going to stay dead if he was going to come back at this point every character who had ever died in comics stayed dead with very few exceptions and so what would happen now that superman was dead they ran this this was probably the most mainstream uh, reach that comics had up until that point you know it was in newspapers they did uh they did stories on this on the nightly news like this was a huge deal they sold comics with black armbands like they were in like people were in mourning and you saw them everywhere it was crazy but of course as we would see later on um, with the reign of the superman and later on after that superman did come back but we'll get to that in a little bit later so this original story the death of superman has ha had a few different adaptations um the original adaptation was a 1994 video game it was kind of a side scroller beat em up made by blizzard entertainment i was doing my research and i couldn't i thought i was misreading it or something but yeah that blizzard entertainment made a superman game and it looked actually really good you took control of different characters and uh it was your you know, general, classic, beat-em-up, side-scroller. Uh, there was also a Superman Reborn film that was in development for a long time, as people in the biz call it, uh, Development Hell. 
you might have heard of it through uh, Kevin Smith, who was the writer. Uh, John Peters was set to produce. The Superman was going to be Nicolas Cage. Um, if you would like more information on that, please, please, please check out Death and Return of Superman, What Happened? Or it was the death of Death and Return of Superman, What Happened? Um, it was a, it's a phenomenal, really well put together uh, documentary put together by uh, John Schnepp, who passed away recently. Um, if you haven't seen it, if you are interested, do yourself a favor, do John Schnepp a, fa John Schnepp a favor and watch this documentary because it gives you a lot of insight. And for me, it was what introduced me to John Schnepp as a, creative talent so um yeah just just check it out and uh yeah thank you as a complete side note um thank you john schnepp for introducing me to that aspect of superman and i really appreciate it and thank you so much but um going going back to uh what we were talking about the adaptations uh the next adaptation came in the form of a of an animated film now i know what you're i know what you're thinking wait a second i thought that just came out yesterday and it did but and there's the but uh they tried this almost what was it over 10 years ago yeah so in 2007 uh dc put out superman doomsday which was basically an hour and a half uh, animated film that condensed the entire story of the death and return of Superman into uh, one film. And while the film, the acting is phenomenal, the animation is fantastic, uh, the story was not the best, it was not one of my favorite stories, but this film really kicked off uh, DC's animated line of films. and. If you have watched or seen or rented or bought any animated films from DC since 2007, you have that film to thank because it did so well that DC looked at it and said, we can make a whole line of these. Um, so it was very loosely adapted. They toyed around with a lot of stuff. They mixed and matched different ideas. Um, so it's definitely something worth watching, going back and checking out, but it's not what I would say the most um, faithful adaptation. Um, so that that brings us to uh, this year. Now, there were elements of the death of Superman that went across the uh, cinematic universe that DC has been kind of haphazardly putting together. Uh, you saw elements of it in uh, Batman v Superman, where you would, where you saw Doomsday, where you saw Superman die, uh, battle in sort of Metropolis, but not really Metropolis. And then uh, you saw elements of the return of Superman in Justice League last year. But what we're really looking at and where our focus is today is on the two-part animated adaptation titled The Death of Superman. Um, this is one of the most faithful adaptations to a uh, comic book product that I have ever seen. 
Uh, I would put it right up there with Dark Knight Returns. I would put it right up there with All-Star Superman. I would put it right up there even with uh, Batman Under the Red Hood or Batman Year One. Those animated adaptations really took the time to give you the feel of the original comic while also taking liberties to make it an an enjoyable cinematic experience, and I think that's what they did here. Uh, this is a two-part story, so the first part was released yesterday, and as of this recording, of course, and uh, part two, which is titled The Reign of the Superman, will be released early next year. We'll get into that a little bit after the review. And about that review, um, here it is. Segways. So, um, First of all, again, I loved this film. I really enjoyed it, but I'm going to get into, because I have my notes here, I wrote down uh, some stuff that I really think is important. Um, there might be a light spoiler, so if you haven't seen the film, if you've never read the original story, if you know nothing about this, do yourself a favor, uh, go on iTunes, go to your local Redbox like I did, pick this film up, watch it, enjoy it, come back here, and we'll discuss. Uh, I'll try to stay as spoiler-free as possible, but I tend to talk and I get a little excited when I talk about uh, good comic properties. So um, if a spoiler ekes out here and there, I do apologize in advance. But uh, the first thing that really struck me about this, and you get it immediately as the film starts, is the, uh, the intro. Before this film, uh, each DC animated film had its own kind of, you know, DC animation, Warner Brothers animation kind of intro title cards. And uh, the DC film universe had their own and they were very separate. But in front of the film that I watched yesterday, you get the, uh, the same DC intro that played in front of Justice League earlier this year or last year. Last year? I think it was last year. This has been a roller coaster of a film year. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was immediately kind of put off by it. I, I mean, not put off, but I was surprised that they would put their stamp on it. And I think this is starting to lean in towards this whole idea of the worlds of DC that uh, we talked about in a previous episode. If you haven't watched that, go check out my uh, coverage of the San Diego Comic Con news. But. I think this kind of plays into it that they're going to be making their animated films just as important as their uh, theatrical films. And I think for DC and for Warner Brothers, that's super smart because their animated films have been amazing so far. They've been top-notch with, I mean, some, some exceptions. Uh, Batman and Harley Quinn being one of them. I didn't real, I didn't enjoy that. I'm sorry, but I really I th I thought it was a nice nice thing to include having that intro sequence. Uh, but speaking of amazing sequences, the opening to this film is honestly one of the most I think one of the most engaging Superman intro sequences that I've ever seen whether it be animated, whether it be uh, live action, whether it be video games, whatever. Um, there's a great opening scene with Inner Gang and their Iron Man copyright infringement armor that they're using. Uh, Superman making his entrance is something that actually got an audible laugh 
an audible laugh from me and uh i i laughed quite a bit in this film and i also had uh i had some very deep set emotions about this film during uh my watching it both the first time and even the second time as well but uh the intro scene was amazing and a lot of that has to do with superman himself uh superman is voiced by jerry o'connell in this film and that is not someone that i would personally pick to <laughs> uh portray superman offhand offhandedly but um you know a lot of people going back to the uh, discussion or the uh breakdown from earlier a lot of people would say the same thing about dean kane and that confidence that i think dean kane had as superman you can really feel in this superman jerry o'connell plays him to perfection i really enjoyed him his voice isn't something that you would consider the stereotypical uh superman voice and it was something that i had to get used to but within the first couple minutes i was zoned in i had gotten used to it and i really enjoyed it throughout the rest of the film itself uh this superman is a lot more confident than you normally see a superman a lot of times superman is accused of being boring or uh naive or even really uh what is the word um disconnected from things that are around him but you see throughout this film superman is confident he's been doing this for a while he knows what he's doing he enjoys what he does you see different interactions with uh people on the street you see him having quips and one-liners which is one of my favorite aspects of superman is his really like sometimes lame sometimes spot on uh one-liners and zingers and i really think that this is one of my favorite versions of superman uh his power set is on full display here he really takes advantage of all of the powers that he has in this film with the exception i think might be super breath or his uh his freeze breath i didn't see if i can remember correctly a whole lot if any of that but that's kind of a uh, <laughs> that's kind of one of the more uh niche powers that he has uh not a lot of people like to focus on the freeze breath but it's part of his power set so i enjoy it but just as important as superman in this film is lois and by extension her relationship with clark kent at this point uh going into the film lois does not know that superman and clark kent are one of the same person in fact you see pretty early on in the film that they haven't even gone public with their relationship as lois and clark uh they have little meetings where they make out in supply closets it doesn't get graphic but like they have to do this whole thing where they're still hiding the fact that they're dating from their co-workers and from their boss perry white and uh i, th I think that's for me it's a really interesting time in that relationship and it's something that i think the uh, cinematic universe really missed out on by having lois find out about uh, Clark's identity so quickly but because you get to see the relationship even Clark um, or Superman as Clark gets to have quips about how he you know should I be jealous about you and Superman and they're they're playful they're they just they love each other and you can kind of tell throughout the film and I think that has a lot to do with uh Lois's voice actress Rebecca Romaine and she's awesome I uh for those who might 
feel like that name is familiar. Uh, she played Mystique in the first three X-Men films done by Brian Singer and later Brett Ratner. Uh, and she was one of my favorite parts of those films too. She was silent though. She was uh, almost lizard-like as Mystique and it was really, it was a unique and new take on that character. So you don't really get a lot of I guess history on what she sounds like but in this film she was great she had that sass she had the confidence she had just everything that i was even talking about earlier with terry hatcher and her portrayal of lois how you could tell that she's confident in who she is and doesn't need anyone to tell her otherwise and Lois really at certain points is the focal point of scenes and she has a really deep and really great connection with Clark Kent and Jerry O'Connell by extension because Jerry and Rebecca are married in real life so you get that chemistry that they naturally have and it comes across really really well uh, in the film. But of course, with our heroes, there also have to be villains, and this is where we uh, talk about Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor was played, or uh, was voiced by Rain Wilson, which uh, some people might know as Dwight from The Office. Now I say that, and I know what you're thinking, Dwight from The Office, Lex Luthor, not quite the same thing. But if you just watch the film, it fits really well, actually. Uh, Rain Wilson plays this arrogant, smarmy, um, self-important Lex Luthor to an absolute T. And he really is able to confidently uh, contrast Jerry O'Connell's Superman, who is still very truth, justice for all, with Lex Luthor's kind of slimy, you know, I put myself first always kind of attitude. And he doesn't have as heavy of an influence on the story as you are used to seeing, but this kind of reflects how Lex Luthor was not just kind of in comics right now, but also at the time, back in the early 90s, where they were more focused on the relationship between uh, Clark and Lois than really spotlighting any of Superman's villains. And with what he's given here, Rain Wilson shines. He really does a great job. Lex Luthor has many, many different uh, great lines in this film. Uh, he's always kind of on the periphery to the action that is going on with the film and kind of takes center stage for all of maybe two or three minutes near the end of the film as well. I thought he was an awesome, awesome Lex Luthor and I think I am really looking forward to seeing more of Rain Wilson being Lex Luthor. Uh, but other people who didn't get as much of the spotlight but definitely made their presence known were the Justice League. Uh, the Justice League takes center stage for part of this film um i do have a couple people who i would like to spotlight uh, individually but the justice league as a whole was really interesting to me and they've been kind of using the justice league to further their stories and to kind of frame their stories for a little while now in these animated films uh since i want to say flashpoint paradox They've really been telling one long serialized story with these animated films, which I think is great. And it's something that you can contrast with the 
cinematic versions where you see that they're having trouble with the cinematic universe because they don't really know how to do it. But then you look at the animated side and you see that they're doing well. Not every animated film that comes out is a home run, but they're doing well in setting up this universe and keeping that continuity intact. There are moments where uh, The Flash, who gets amazing scenes in this film he really uh christopher gorham who plays the flash is wonderful uh he gets a lot of comedic lines but without straying into the uh wally west type you can still clearly tell that this is barry allen but he does still retain some of the humor that you are kind of expected to see with the flash but he even mentions you know there's a moment where he references the dark side war which isn't the dark side war from the comics but he references a war with dark side being uh i believe he was justice league war which was kind of the first in this series of new 52 style animated films and showed the justice league coming together for the first time uh they also wonder woman who is played by the incomparable rosario dawson uh also references her relationship with Superman, which they touched on in previous animated films, such as them meeting and instantly having a connection in Justice League War. And I think that that continuity is really cool. And you get to you get to take it like a serialized comic book, which is what I look for when they're building long-term stories in any medium, whether that be TV, film, animation, whatever. But... I love the inclusion of the Justice League here. They had certain members, like, I don't know what Hawkman was doing there when they could have really brought in Hawkwoman, or Hawkgirl, who is a much more, to me, Hawkgirl is a much more interesting character than Hawkman, but I, he was fine. He showed up, he did his thing. Uh, the inclusion of Martian Manhunter was great. I thought uh, my roommate, even when we were watching it, he watched it with me the second time, uh, was immediately he, Martian Manhunter kind of piqued his interest and he didn't really know what his deal was. But his striking visual design, along with his power set, really made him stand out among the Justice Leaguers. Everybody really had a great, great showing here. Um, Green Lantern, voiced by Nathan Fillion. Uh, is as always charming and unlikable at the same time uh, Batman played by Jason O'Mara very well done always a really he's not my preferred Batman but he does a really great job as a Batman that can fit in with other members on the voice cast and I really think that in any films that feature the Justice League you have to have somebody who blends in well with the cast but is able to still stand out on their own and Jason O'Mara as Batman does that in spades um, but along with them, uh, we also got glimpses of Superman supporting cast. Uh, Ma and Pa Kent make appearances. Uh, Jennifer Hale voices Ma Kent, and uh, Jennifer Hale is a legend, and she is someone who really inspires me as a voice actor to uh, bring my best to any anything that I am brought on for, whether that be uh, big or small roles. And we also get, we also finally get to see Bibbo. Uh, Bibbo Bibowski is one of the most long-running Superman supporting characters in the history of the character. Uh, Bibbo is a uh, roughneck uh, former sailor who has a 
who has a bar and sometimes in this film is a restaurant called Ace of Spades in Metropolis. He was once saved from a shipwreck by Superman and since then has been an obsessive Superman fan. And you really get to see Bibbo shine in this film. He doesn't have a huge bearing on the plot, but the scenes that he gets, he steals. Absolutely. And I, I just... I. As a Superman fan for as long as I can remember, uh, Bibbo has always been one of my favorite supporting acts in that character's stories, so I was really excited to see him. Uh, but along with that, we also got a lot of uh, foreshadowing for the future. We got a lot of foreshadowing when it comes to certain characters that showed up. Uh, Bibbo himself asks, you know, there's a beautiful wonderful moment where he's giving a prayer and he starts to uh ask why superman died which i mean it's kind of a spoiler but at the same time the film is called death of superman so i don't think it's that much of a spoiler but um he kind of talks about you know why would you kill him and leave me here which i think is interesting foreshadowing and also foreshadows the uh the next film that being uh reign of the supermen and um for that film itself we got some foreshadowing for certain characters who would be who are going to be important later on we got a glimpse of hank henshaw who is the uh perpetual reed richards parody uh, him, his wife Terry, and their two friends are astronauts on a satellite that is impacted by uh, Doomsday's meteorite on the way into Earth's atmosphere. You see that Hank Henshaw uh, believes, even in the bleakest situations, that Superman will save him, and that is going to come back later on, so pay attention to him. Uh, we also get a, a mini introduction scene of John Henry Irons, another big Superman fan who's working in uh, Star Labs. And he is also going to be important as the uh, the hero Steel later on. Um, we also get a glimpse of Cadmus, uh, the just awful, awful place that is Cadmus. Uh, if you're a fan of DC Comics for any length of time, or uh, you've watched the Young Justice cartoon, you know all about Cadmus and its shady dealings. Uh, they also have a hand in what's to come in uh, part two of the story, so definitely keep an eye on them and the scene where uh, the main scientist is interacting with Lex Luthor. There is a hint there of what's going to happen. And we also uh, get an introduction to Cal's Kryptonian heritage. There's a scene pretty early on, uh, Lois's introduction scene actually, where uh, she's meeting up with Superman and Superman is introducing her to the rocket ship that brought him to Earth as a child. And within this rocket ship is an AI that is basically the repository of all Kryptonian knowledge. Whether it's their language, their civilization, their economy, even family bloodlines. This is the history of Krypton in a complete form. And uh, near the end of the film, uh, the ship goes a little bit rogue, and pay attention to where it lands and what comes of it uh, near the end of the film, because that will, again, be important later. But uh, I've put it off long enough, so let's talk Doomsday. Doomsday... Oh, man, Doomsday was awesome. Uh, he is a force of nature. He is destructive. He is ultra-violent. In the opening scene, there was more blood then you can really prepare yourself for it in an animated film. Uh, he's brutal. Doomsday is ac 
absolutely brutal throughout this whole uh, whole story. And Doomsday is a he is a weapon of mass destruction. He is a mindless well, not mindless, but he is a beast who is only focused on causing as much destruction and pain as possible. And he definitely causes a lot over the course of this film. Uh, you also get to see certain aspects of his adaptability. One big piece of Doomsday as a character, uh, both in the comics and in this film, is the idea that one of his power sets is the ability to adapt to certain situations. So if you are able to injure him some way, following that, his body adapts to the point that you won't be able to injure him the same way twice. So you see him throughout the film grow and evolve up to the point of being the ultimate killing machine near the end of the film, taking on um, powers from people he fights, taking on attributes from weapons that are able to injure him. He is quite literally a doomsday device. He is a doomsday weapon that is able to take down anyone and everyone it comes across. Um, and... He, and take people down he does uh, the biggest thing that he contributes are incredible incredible fight scenes I know there's a lot of uh, criticism for the current DC animation when it comes to the actual uh, animation style a lot of people say that it's it's cheap or that it's not up to snuff with uh, previous animated films, but there are certain fight sequences in this film, that being namely uh, the Wonder Woman fight scene, um, just every single minute of the Superman and Doomsday fight scene, but especially a moment where they go up over the clouds and come back down is one of my favorite sequences in the entire film. And the fight scenes, the fight choreography, everything that comes into that is just so well done and well placed that I was just blown away. So I absolutely recommend that. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else that I might be missing. Um, I'm going to turn my pages away from the mic so that I can get away. You can still hear that, though. I can hear it, too. Um, I'm just checking through my notes and seeing if I missed anything, but I think I've pretty much got every... Oh! Oh! Okay, so... Um, gosh, I can't believe I forgot about this. But I didn't realize this until uh, the credits, but the film is written by Peter J. Tomasi. And that's... For those of you who don't know, that's a huge freaking deal because Peter J. Tomasi just wrapped up probably one of my one of my favorite and one of the best superman runs on the comics that i've ever seen uh he started with uh, superman rebirth number one and worked his way all the way to superman i want to say number 45 but he is so good and he gets this character and he understands him and it shows the writing is impeccable the film is paced really, really well. Um, there's not a single moment that isn't important throughout the film. I really enjoyed it, and when his name came up in the credits, I was like, well, no wonder I enjoyed this so much. Because when you have a quality writer who knows his character and knows his source material, um, that's just a recipe for greatness and for excellent filmmaking. Uh, I have heard that he's not the screenwriter for part two, which bums me out a lot. But, um, man, he's just, he's so good. He's so good. And uh, it shows in this film. So, 
uh, my verdict, I guess, if I had to uh, give a final thought about it, is um, go watch it. Go watch it. It's amazing. It's it's really good. Um, it's not incredibly long, but it is a fair amount to tell this first half of the story, and it's just it's so good, guys. It's so good. I I really. I am accused a lot of being overly, uh, overly positive and overly, um, uh, just, just overly supportive of comic books and their adaptations because, I mean, I, I have loved this medium for such a long time that, uh, eight-year-old me would be absolutely floored to know that in this day and age, comic books and their heroes are not just uh, a staple of the mainstream, but thriving in the mainstream. So I I am a lot of times uh, people will ask me, you know, oh, did you like, you know, say like a friend of mine, uh, Chris Carter, who you've heard on the podcast previously, uh, he asked me, you know, did you like Ant-Man and the Wasp? And I was like, yeah. And he said, okay, but is it good? Because I know you like everything that <laughs> that's comics related, but is it good? And I, I realized that. And I realized that about me, that I am overly uh, non-critical of these films. But I genuinely think this was a great, great film. And it you owe it to yourself if you're a comic book fan, if you enjoy these characters, if you like Superman, to go and watch this. Uh, if I had to give it a really arbitrary, um, silly rating, I would probably give it a 4.5 out of 5 uh, Superman shields. I really just, of course, you know, I would have liked a little bit smoother animation, but overall, I just, I loved it. I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. Um, I would... I would put it up there, like I said, with uh, The Dark Knight Returns when it comes to animated uh, features. And uh, they are just, they're two of the most famous comic book storylines ever in the history of comic books. And DC knocked it out of the park with Dark Knight Returns, both part one and part two. And I'm really hoping that part two sticks the landing as good as part one did for Death of and Return of Superman. But um, to that note, let's talk about uh, part this part two that I've been hinting at so much throughout this episode, that being the Reign of the Supermen. Reign of the Supermen uh, is, a, is, of course, part two for the story. It's going to be coming out uh, early 2019, and this story from the sneak peek this is why i also recommend getting a hard copy of death of superman because in the special features you get i think like a eight or nine minute uh special sneak preview at reign of the superman which i think is absolutely worth it especially if you red box it like i did and it's like a dollar fifty but definitely check it out because reign of the superman is even though it's not quite as good as the death of Superman, one of the most notable comic book stories of all time. Uh, and in this special sneak preview, they've talked about how they learned from Superman Doomsday, which we talked about earlier, uh, and that they realized that this whole story, the death and return of Superman, can't be contained into one single film. To tell it properly, to tell it with all of the gravitas and the detail that you need to put into it, it has to be at least split into two parts so 
Reign of the Superman is going to be uh, taking place three months later, which actually uh, mirrors the original uh, the original comic release date for Reign of the Superman because uh, right after they killed Superman in Superman issue number seventy five, they canceled or they quote unquote I'm using air quotes for podcast listeners uh, they canceled again quote unquote. Uh, all su- all four Superman books for three months to really sell the fact that Superman's dead, Superman's gone, he's not coming back. But then as soon as those three months were up, they brought them all back and each of the four books came in with their own version of Superman. There was uh, Superboy, who in the uh, sneak preview for the film is being... Uh, referred to as if Superman was raised by the Kardashians, which is really strange, and I don't know how I feel about that, but considering that Superboy originally was made to be a young... If Superman was raised in the 90s, I think updating it, making it a little bit more uh, modernized and kind of taking an account, into account uh, how much we've, we as a society have changed since then, I think is good, and I think I'm, I'm really interested to see what they do with that. Uh, another book had uh, Steel, who was known as kind of the Man of Steel at the time, uh, who represents the heart and the values of Superman. This is probably the most heroic out of all four of the Superman that popped up. Uh, another book had the uh, called The Last Son of Krypton, which ended up being uh, The Eradicator, which if you haven't seen Reign of the Superman or uh, read the the original story i won't spoil for you but um yeah he's he's interesting and uh he's been referred to as uh by the creators of the reign of the superman film as kind of a spock on steroids so uh that's again an interesting description for him and then they have uh the cyborg superman who is who kind of represents the power of superman and one thing that i really urge you as a listener Thank you for listening. Um, if you do go watch this film, stay throughout the credits. Which I know sounds weird because you're going to be in your own house or in your own home uh, watching this. So staying for the credits isn't like staying in the theater. But watch the credits all the way through because you get little mid-credits and post-credits scenes highlighting all four of the Supermen who are going to be coming. So definitely watch the entire credits get those easter eggs those mini scenes so that when reign of the superman comes around you'll know or you'll be prepared for that uh they've also said that lois is going to drive the story which i think is great especially with how good rebecca romaine did in this film i'm excited to see her do more uh but yeah definitely go check that out um i think if uh i think this i'm going to say right now i'm going to throw down the challenge which i guess isn't really a challenge but um i'm going to say that this is going to be part one of a two-part episode committed to this story uh part two will come out whenever uh reign of the superman does and we'll cover that story and we'll cover uh the original comics in relation to that story we'll talk about um really how much the reign of the superman and the return of superman uh, really affected comics as a whole and then we'll talk about the film of course so uh, look forward to that whenever uh, Reign of the Superman comes out it hasn't been given an official release date yet just that it's going to be early 2019 so I'm looking forward to that and I hope you are too 
But um, that'll pretty much do it for me. Again, I love this film. Check it out. I really enjoyed it, and I think you will too. Uh, if you have seen it, or if you're going to see it, let me know what you think. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and tweet at me your thoughts on the film at uh, GeekSplainedPod. That's at GeekSplainedPod. You can also send me emails because I'm, I'm an old man and I still read emails. Uh, you can send me emails to uh, GeekSplained at gmail.com. I read all of them. I really appreciate all of the great feedback, both positive and uh, critical that I've received, and I just I'm going to keep going through, and I hope to hear from anyone who listens. I uh, got a couple great tweets from some people who I'm going to highlight right now, so uh, thank you to Martin Lemus at Keita2003, and uh, thank you to Ray Howard of the Gorilla Brain Podcast. Both of these guys gave me some great feedback, and uh, I thank you very much. And if you too would like your name read out on this podcast, feel free to send me a tweet. Uh, if you've listened in all the way through here, I want to, I want to, I want you to tell me uh, whether an email, tweet, whatever. Uh, tell me who your favorite character who has died and come back, whether it be comics, movies, uh, TV, whatever. Let me know your favorite character that's died and come back. And um, I will read some of that on the next episode. So for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>